0: aside from the Sasquatch, which I have yet to see, but, uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's the landscape for those two, right? <laughs> for those amazing creatures that I'm waiting for that photograph to set me up for, for retirement. But, um,
1: in my time in Churchill, I remember watching a deer falcon take out a ptarmigan.
0: Well, write down the details as soon as we close on this podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Getting we'll more dis-
0: excited by the moment here.
1: We'll discuss the financials. <laughs> oh, oh, she's a businesswoman too,
0: right? <laughs> right out of the gate. Right? No hesitation. Good for you. That's good. That's good. As you should be. Welcome to Wild and Exposed, a wildlife photography and adventure podcast with your hosts, Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Mark Raycroft. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting episode. You are going to love the guests that we have on today. Um, Before we introduce her, I just want to take a quick moment and encourage all of you to follow or subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening to this audio podcast. And please feel free to show us some love and give us a positive review, whether it be five stars or a thumbs up. Those reviews help us to continue what we do and invest our time and follow our passion and share it with you through this podcast. So today, we are very excited to introduce our guest, Lindsay Dewart. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Your background is very interesting, and what you have done over the past many years as a photo guide to some really remote and awesome locations is uh, very impressive, and I'm sure our listeners will be engaged to hear what you've been up to there. And and, in the insight, I mean, I know I have lots of questions because I haven't been to any of these cool locations So I know that you have, uh, before starting the podcast, we talked for a few minutes and you have a university degree in in conservation biology from the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Yes. And then from there, before you started these photo workshop tours to these amazing locations, what did did you do?
1: I focused on wildlife conservation in university. And as kind of summer work um, in between semesters, I focused on looking for jobs and field research and things like that. Um and so I actually I got a job on a grizzly bear project in the northern Rockies. And I was do I was visiting sites and seeing a lot of the aftermath and signs of wildlife, but and we were we were immobilizing wildlife to put collars on and but I wasn't actually I guess observing the behavior of these animals, which is what I really craved and what I really wanted. And so uh, when I finished university, I decided that that's something that I really wanted to do and I really wanted to focus on and I wanted to learn more about these animals that I had been studying. Um, and so I kind of just took off and went to the coast and actually moved there before I even got a job guiding um, and just started kind of networking and and meeting new people and eventually got a job on a remote lodge that was a fly-in only and, and uh, spent six months out there and it was... It was pretty amazing.
2: That is really amazing. Yeah, the, I mean that's like the way to do it, right? right. I mean, that's, <laughs> I think that's totally the because way they to would it. see that you're passionate
0: about it because you're already there. You're mm-hmm. not calling them saying, "Hey, I'd like to do this." It's like you've made a point of going there and then finding a way in. Yeah, to enjoy that and and have these intimate experiences with these amazing animals. And and so this was in the Great Bear Rainforest on the coast of British Columbia.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right? So I was focusing on. Uh, on Vancouver Island, there's a lot of different tour companies that operate off of Vancouver Island. And, okay. um
2: Yeah. So, so, so once you do that, once you – you obviously have the biological background, right? But how do you pick up on, like, the people interaction and dealing with all of that? Is that something that you like to do or is that
1: – Yeah, it wasn't really anything that I had experience with beforehand. So that was kind of maybe up to – you know, the company owners that I was meeting and, uh, and just through conversing and talking about experiences and things like that, that was kind of their judgment or they needed to gauge whether I would be good with their clientele or, yeah. So I really didn't know, but you know, I, I ended up really enjoying taking people out and, and just chatting and teaching them new things.
0: Well, it's a great opportunity because they'd be so excited when they see the animals, right? Mm. And highlight it. Trip for them, vacation or photo tour. Oh, it's and amazing! You can share so much insight information because of what you've seen over the over your time there. Yeah. So it's a positive, happy interaction, right? For, I'm sure for the most part. With, yeah. With the people that go on these tours.
1: Oh, nobody is ever really in a bad mood, you know. Right. On <laughs> this amazing vacation. <laughs> right. So everything is usually hunky dory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with the, with the, the grizzly bears in the Great Bear Rainforest, how did those tours go? As far as was it a guarantee? Would they always find grizzly bears would it be every day and would it it be from a boat or
1: yeah so nothing is ever a guarantee in wildlife as you know um but there's obviously times of the year where your chances are better say uh in the springtime when the bears are all kind of moving down into the meadows to feed and to breed and um that's that's personally my favorite time to see the bears but then kind of through the summer when they're more so focusing on feeding on berries and they're in the forest it's a little bit trickier a little harder to see them and chances are not slim but you know you're you're risking risking your sightings and then uh in the fall obviously that's when you get the salmon spawn and your chances are pretty good in certain spots if you know the river pretty well um yeah if you're sitting out there long enough and committing the time uh you can see some pretty amazing things Yeah.
0: Would, would these people be staying on a boat or would it just be a boat taking them from a lodge to the sighting locations?
1: Yeah. So the location that I worked in, um, it was a floating lodge, um, and it was located right at the estuary of a river. So we had a lot of area to explore. Um, there was different bays and little creeks we could go up and depending on the tide, obviously you could explore a lot more at high tide and and, uh, yeah, so we would be taking just these little outboard motor boats out on the river. And, you know, we were going out whether the tide was at zero feet or 12 feet. So there was times where I was pulling the boat up with five full grown adults inside it up <laughs> on these shallow rock bars. And yeah, it was just an everyday thing. We tried to schedule it for the same time every day so that, I guess the bears could predict when we were going to be there. So they kind of had the choice of whether they wanted to have an encounter with us or not. But,
2: yeah. So you guys didn't. So I've done trips similar to that where you wait on the, or you just regulate everything based on the tide. At low tide, we're in, photographing. At high tide, we're on the boat. And so you guys actually just set a time. Yeah. And whether it was high tide or low tide, you were going.
1: Yeah, it was very important to uh, the specific operator that we stick to the exact same times of going out on the river. And it was usually uh, early in the morning to late morning and then uh, another session in the evening. And in the afternoon, sometimes we would maybe go to a different location and just try something that, you know, we might not have a lot of luck in typically. But, you know, certain spots, we would have magical moments there some afternoons. so.
2: And you're probably not only seeing bears, right? So there's eagles, there's otters, there's yeah. wolves, there's whales, everything. dolphins. Yeah. yeah. So, and, Amazing. And these people probably get just as excited seeing some of that kind of stuff as they do the bears, right? Or, oh, no, yeah. Or was everybody there just for bears?
1: Uh, well, it's very bear focused, you know, um, but everything else is kind of just that extra bonus. Um, there's obviously things that I would get very excited about that other people would not get that all that excited about. What (laughs) do you get excited about? Oh, mostly just interesting behaviors. Um, so that's what you try to relay to your guests and your clients. Um, what you're seeing right now is very rare and that not a lot of people in the world get to see this and you're trying to kind of paint that picture for them in that, you know. What you're experiencing right now is just amazing.
2: Yeah. Do you think they get it?
1: Some people. Yeah. Some people do. Yeah. Um, yeah, like in my in my time in Churchill, I remember watching a deer falcon take out a ptarmigan and uh, feed on a ptarmigan. And, you know, a falcon is one of the top 10 sought out after birds in North America to see and uh I was freaking out <laughs> I really was and my guests were just so confused they're like what it's just a bird
2: and it's way out Try there. to
1: communicate to them what right. they're seeing right now right um and that very very few people get to see something like that so
2: so where all these tours they're not photo tours they're just tours so uh, are a lot of people just showing up with you know their little point and shoots and their little they want to document it so everybody takes pictures nowadays but it's not necessarily a photo tour, right? Or did you do just photo tours too?
1: I it, it is kind of more of a general wildlife sighting tour for all the places that I've worked. That's kind of a great thing is you're, you get that wide spectrum, right? You get um, the retired couple that has been looking forward to doing this trip for 20 years. Um, and they've got a point-and-shoot camera or an iPad or... You know they just bought a brand new camera specific for this trip and they don't really know how to use it um, but then you get the people that are completely focused on like getting the shot right they've got all this fancy crazy camera gear and uh, and you try to tailor your trip for who you have right so it can be hard when you have when you have those opposite sides of the spectrum um, but yeah, it depends on the focus of what your clients are and you try to meet those needs and
3: Yeah. Did you guide for I mean did these operators have like photo workshops from time to time as well or was it all just individual individual groups coming in? Yeah.
1: Not for my work in the Great Bear Rainforest, but um up in Churchill, there are uh there are guides that are specifically tailored to um professional photographers? I guess um, so. They're actually uh, photography tours. I guess is what they call them, um, and so they're more so focused on getting the shot and to get kind of tips from the guide on how to get better
2: photos and things like that. But so with a floating lodge, mm-hmm. that means they're brought in on a float plane. Yes. Yep. So how cool is that? Really cool. Was that one of those things that was a highlight for a lot of your guests? Where, I mean, because think yeah. what are they taking off some coastal port city yep, right just
1: a very small town mm-hmm.
2: and then they that plane knows where the boat's at at the moment right or the lodge the floating lodge so then they just fly out to that area and it just or just explain to us i don't need to explain it, you <laughs> explain it. how does that work
1: uh it's so that specific flight it was it was great in that um the scenery is obviously beautiful and sometimes you'd be lucky enough to see a whale or something on your way. Um, and also at the same time as you're seeing a lot of uh, like forestry activity on the landscape. So you can kind of educate your clients and guests on kind of the industry side of things and how that's evolved and changed and, you know, processes are getting better. And um, yeah, because they always have questions right there. We're flying over and you see a cup block in, it in this pristine area that you wouldn't expect there to be logging in um but uh yeah so you flew in
3: with every group
1: yep yeah i guess that's not true i guess we would we i would fly out with a lot of the groups as a kind of like a as a goodbye like thank you for coming type of thing but a lot of the time when we would fly in actually being in a lodge you know and with lots of bears around we had to control waste and garbage and and so we were kind of in and out quite a bit with and you need a lot of supplies like food and yeah so we were a lot of the time helping with things like that flying in and out and, and
2: mm-hmm. what are you guys flying in cuz if you're hauling in several guests i mean you're not going into like a you got a beaver or an otter or something do you know what kind of
1: oh what was it called uh it it is just a small four oh, four seater
2: a oh, four seater yeah, oh, really?
1: flo- float plane yeah wow yeah not very big at all um there were times that we would uh use like another uh airline or something like that if there was more guests that needed to come in but yeah it was just kind of a local wow local company
0: so this floating lodge would house so many how many people per week
1: we would have groups of 20 at a time oh wow yeah so So we would have three guides working usually so we'd break up that group and
0: and five or seven day tours or both
1: usually it would be five
0: five day tour yeah up to 20 people Mm -hmm. so you'd have five in your boat and would you be operating the boat as well as guiding and interpreting yeah um so uh
1: you had to kind of get a different perspective um than the rest of your guests that are seated in the boat um so i would often be like standing up on the seat with like a pvc pipe motor extension um so that i could be kind of viewing over top of all the tall grass and stuff looking for that little ear poking out or something like that but
2: when it seems like you're that personality, right? That adventure is what you want.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's definitely what I crave.
2: As far as your conservation, do you feel like a lot of your guests came in with the same sort of attitude that you, that you have or the same sort of like outlook on wildlife and conservation and everything that we can do to make it better? Or do you think you were able to educate a lot of these guests? On, some, on a lot of the current issues that are facing wildlife?
1: You know, normally when people are coming out on tours like this, they obviously uh, not only want to see the animal, but they value that animal, right? Um, and they generally have the same kind of perspective. And it's not only the animals, it's also the place. Um, the Great Bear Rainforest in general is just this amazing place with so much diversity. There's a lot more there than bears. And once people see that place and experience that place and just how much there is there and how important that ecosystem is um i think they go away with a lot more than what they thought they were coming into and i have you know i've guided a trip for donors of the nature conservancy so obviously they have the exact same perspective and and uh and that was a really cool experience to to meet and talk with people that you know think that that is one of the most important things is preserving these landscapes. So,
2: so you probably got a chance to learn from those people too, right? You yeah. it was probably give take in that mm-hmm. situation, right? Yeah, exactly. What What are some of the key points that you would point out to visitors, or that you learned just by being there? By
1: being in the Great Bear Rainforest. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What's What are the issues facing that habitat and those that wildlife structure down there?
1: One of the One of the things that we we had focused on and you know very recently has changed is the hunting of grizzly bears especially in that specific area being in a in a tourism guiding field um, you have to take a certain kind of responsibility with that you can be seeing kind of the same bears once in a while and creating that kind of habituation or comfort level in those bears around people so so you know we would see kind of boats coming in that we hadn't seen before and you know so we did kind of take it upon ourselves to approach those folks and and see what what activities they were up to and and you know if they were open and talking about uh looking for bears for hunting purposes, we would just try and offer them an alternative like a trip out there um because obviously those bears are very important to um to the tourism industry, and you evolve a certain attachment to those animals, and like I said, you have to take a certain level of responsibility that has all change now and there's no hunting of grizzly bears allowed in the great bear rainforest anymore but there's also the industry perspective so um, we talked about kind of logging and what it used to be kind of the clear cutting of the forests and then and how that has kind of evolved into more uh, heli logging and not clear cutting massive areas when clear cutting there was a lot of issues with salmon spawning streams and things like that and it would uh, it would affect the entire ecosystem it's nice to see that we're kind of evolving those processes to kind of mitigate those things. But
3: now, if I'm not if I'm not incorrect, the Great Bear Rainforest is on First Nations land in Canada, correct? Yeah. Is it now the whole rainforest?
1: Uh not necessarily the whole rainforest, no. Okay. Yeah.
3: So access is is limited. Yep. Through through the First Nations group or governed by, is that correct?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a few different uh, First Nations bands that are within the great bear rainforest i guess they they have their own land and they take responsibility for that land there are groups like the guardians the coastal guardians that uh that actually monitor their waters and whatnot um and make sure that there's kind of no nefarious activities going on yeah Mm mm-hmm
2: and I think it's important to put out there, too, you're not against hunting, right? And I'm not against hunting. I don't think any of us are against hunting. It's more of the certain areas really need to have some sort of, um, what's well, the word? Well, if these bears have been exposed to the people to the point where they're habituated
0: and, and will just sit there and... and then obviously, and because of the relevance to the tour, tourism industry, then you know, just one would think ethically that they wouldn't be a target for hunting. That there should be
2: some protection. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. I was trying to think for of. that for that area. Right.
1: Yeah, um, it's like you said, Mark. It's more so specific to that tourism industry. So if right. it's if it's legal, like all that's all fine and good. But I guess there was kind of that ethical issue with the company that we worked for that they didn't really they it felt sort of like a guilt you know if one of their bears that they view all the time was was hunted because you know we're encountering that bear all the time and they're feeling comfortable and things like that so it was more of kind of a tourism specific right yeah
2: so let's switch gears and roll up to, or unless you have another question. Well, I just wanted to touch on the salmon fishery yeah. there, too.
0: Was that something that was relevant at, at the time that you were there for discussions? Is, and I don't know with the Great Bear Rainforest, the proximity to some of the salmon farming and the impacts that has, but obviously the Great Bear Rainforest, the salmon run, is a big a big deal to that ecosystem and on all sorts of levels, right? I mean, the bears mm-hmm. forage on the salmon. The bears carry the salmon up into the forest and, and consume part of it perhaps because there's such a robust salmon run. They leave the carcass and that nutrient goes into the soil system and actually feeds that ecosystem, the trees and, and makes it so nutrient rich along with the amount of precipitation on the coast makes for this lush habitat. And so the salmon runs are so relevant. And I, I assume that would be another subject that would come up frequently with this tour.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with, uh, the sailing tours that I've, that I've been on. Um, cause we do go past, uh, like salmon farms, Um, and that's kind of another educational opportunity um, because, you know, there are, uh, like, viruses and things like that that are exposing native salmon um, to these new diseases that they haven't been exposed to before. Um, And not only that, but just over-harvesting is really really taking a toll on the salmon populations in that area. Um, and it is, it is kind of scary to think about because that entire ecosystem is based on those gigantic salmon runs that we're just not seeing anymore. Um, so I'm curious to see kind of what's going to change there.
0: You had heard when you were there that there was a a significant decline from maybe a decade before. I've heard there's been Mm -hmm. fluctuations. There have been some salmon runs recently. I think, uh, closer to the coast of Alaska that have been robust, but typically they've been far fewer in number, right? So it has been on the radar, has been a concern. And for me, I mean, a lot of the uh, commercial fishing that, and and not that I am against this industry whatsoever, but when they get into international waters, mm-hmm. what's going on, you know, and, and how much harvesting and with the human population on this planet just exploding, um, all kinds of countries are taking, you know, so much from the greater ocean ecosystem wherever they can uh, for their advantage to feed their populations. And these salmon runs, you know, there's been an impact to that, which unfortunately affects right up the mountainside. And bears, you know, so it's, it's a good conversation to have with people those that are passionate about these ecosystems, because the bears are kind of the pinnacle of these amazing creatures that live there, aside from the Sasquatch, which I have yet to see. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's, that's the landscape for those two, right? <laughs> for those amazing creatures that w- I'm waiting for that photograph to set me up for, for retirement. But um, anyway. Yeah, I, uh,
1: I interacted with a few folks, c- they're called uh, creek walkers, okay. and there's not many of them anymore. Um, when I was there, there was four of them, I believe. And their entire job was to basically walk up different creeks and, and, uh, count the salmon, Okay. do a salmon assessment. And so talking to some of those guys, yeah, there was, it it was kind of scary to hear like right. the drastic changes that they've seen in all their years. Cause some of these guys have been doing this for, you know, 30 years. Right. So they're really seeing wow the trends change but
0: have you heard anything about people taking salmon roe and reintroducing it to the river heads to try and create or, or um, make the spawn more robust or to reintroduce them to rivers that they were native in but haven't mm-hmm. been for a while
1: so that was kind of a that was a first nations practice okay. and i think <laughs> that's where we're going to have to head in order to kind of repopulate some of these streams? That's a
0: conservation effort, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, why exactly. wouldn't we? I mean, yeah. if, if we, um, government organizations restock lakes, right? And if we can do something to help boost these salmon runs, yeah. you know, and take the native fish that belong there and take their, their row, which is the eggs, mm-hmm. fertilized and, and uh, reintroduced that way, it's, it was worth the effort to try.
1: Yeah, and they're, you know, they even have to make some kind of uh, stream adjustments to make the habitat suitable um for these fish so yeah so uh it's going to be a lot of work but um you know something has to be something has to be done to kind of change the trend here
0: it's worth that effort to do that definitely for this ecosystem because Mm -hmm. for those like you say that have gone on these tours they're changed people Mm -hmm. right when they leave because of what they observed yeah i mean it's a magical place
1: yeah they changed did it change you what i hope after every trip is that their experience and what education I've been able to provide kind right. of leaves them with a motivation to maybe do more. Sure. Um, whether it is kind of donate to conserv- conservation organizations in the area or things like that. So yeah, that's always kind of my hope in what I'm that. doing yeah. in my work is guiding. But yeah. for
0: the, for the months that you were there, that whole season that you, you were witness to, you obviously left changed by it. I would think as far as, I mean, until we go to these magical places, we we assume in our minds what it's like. Mm-hmm. We see images, but it's nothing like being there.
1: Yeah, and when I first arrived there, I had never been in a place like that either. Um, and it was, I was experiencing the same thing as my guests when I kind of first arrived. And I w- my mind was being blown day by day. <laughs> so it was kind of, it was a, a, definitely a neat a neat feeling to be at that, to be at the same level as, uh, as the people that I was, that I was taking out. And it's still like that, you know, there's, there's experiences that I've had, you know, just last fall where it's just, I'm as blown away as everybody else on that bus. So, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, that's the truth to wildlife and nature. Those experiences are real, right? And so they have that impact. It's really happening right in front of us and it's new magical. Um, Use that word again. It's it's warranted. Uh, So to go on to another amazing place for the spirit bears, you were there for three seasons, Mm -hmm. guiding tours there. Mm -hmm. And do you want to take a moment? And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are are aware of what a spirit bear is. But for those that aren't, what is a spirit bear?
1: A spirit bear is a black bear that basically has a double recessive gene. So it has to have the same gene from both parents in order to have a white coat. And this specific population on the coast, there are more of these spirit bears than anywhere else. And there's a theory behind that that it's actually an evolutionary process. It's definitely not a confirmed theory by any means, but a theory nonetheless that the white bears are have a higher success rate at fishing. And that has been documented because you know, when you're a fish and there's a a black mass over top of you, you know, you can kind of see that coming and they can evade those black bears a bit easier than something that is similar color to what the sky is above the stream. So that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before.
0: Yeah, neither. Neither. Well, that's awesome. And spirit bears are also called Kermode bears. Yes. Right. Yep. And is there a certain native uh, population uh, reverence? indigenous reverence for these bears too spirituality wise or was there history that way um
1: that's kind of where the i guess where, that's where the spirit bear term comes from makes sense sure there's numerous stories okay that go along with it right but the kind of kermode bear is uh is the term that we generally use and then the first nations folks usually refer to them as spirit bears
0: so on your tours and you would call them kermode bears out of a little bit of both. Way. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I
1: think most people actually know them as spirit bears. Sure. Nowadays.
3: But uh, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. As I understand, I mean, to have a double recessive gene, it's going to be a small portion of the population like we touched on earlier. Yeah. And from everything that I've read, it's, it's around 10% um, of the so population or?
1: There's populations on different islands and okay. it's a different ratio for every different island. Um, you know, one, kind of one in every 10. Yep, is uh, is a spirit bear, and another one. It's one in every, uh, three. Oh, really? I believe. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So different ratios for different locations.
3: But. So when you go on these tours, and I'm asking, selfishly, also, <laughs> <but> I'm asking for <laughs> a friend. <laughs> at, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got this friend. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go on these tours, how how reliable is, the opportunity to photograph? I mean, if if it's that limited how reliable are the opportunities and obviously you guys are out there you know the the areas that you need to be the times you need to be there that kind of thing but is a person going to see a komodo a bear every time or is it you know one out of three trips that you might have this experience
1: yeah so as i said um in wildlife viewing nothing is ever guaranteed absolutely um so there's definitely been days where we've long days where we sat out there and you know nothing ever showed up um but the fortunate thing is with those populations, um, the First Nations people in that area are so in tune uh, with their local knowledge of those bears that they know the individuals and they know they know frequented places sure. for those bears. So I'd like to say, in my experience, you know, seen more than you know, day we've seen more in particular days than not so yeah
0: most often there's sightings but there's no guarantee yeah I mean most trips and these these trips if I remember correctly could be as short as a three-day workshop or or field trip or five-day or seven-day or what were they set up for people just for our listeners to know if they're interested
1: yeah so there's there are different uh companies that operate there are some that do uh three-day trips and you know some of the ones that I did were up to eight days, but that was kind of more of a overall Great Bear Rainforest type tour. Okay. But generally we'd spend try and spend like a full day or two um,
3: With the spirit looking bear. for spirit bears. Yeah.
0: Three yeah. days, if you're going to travel that far and, and given you know weather and other scenarios, it, to me, it doesn't make sense to go for three days. I mean, it's a magical place and you yeah. want to see a diversity of wildlife and hope to, to see a spirit bear, then you want to spend as much time as, as you can. Exactly. Yeah. and And this again was uh based from the water, I assume on a boat to access where the spirit bears were, as far as just yeah. so people understand it's the same kind of approach as it was for the grizzly
1: bears It was more just using the boat as access to the island okay and then from there it was uh just a by foot type trail That's trail exciting. walk short Good. trail walk to uh access the creeks where right. we would normally see them
3: going back to a quick comment you made earlier. Mm-hmm. So you guys are are the guides for these groups, but yep. then you also met up with a first nations guide is that mm-hmm. correct
1: yeah, yeah, so um, as I was saying before they kind of, they have owner not necessarily ownership but they're they're very heavily involved with all of the tour companies mm-hmm. and uh and it's a benefit for everybody right sure um. Yeah. They I know those bears and those locations better than anybody. So and
0: just culturally, the history. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Um, that means a lot. And these people have been there for thousands of years, and it's part of. It's just ingrained. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. that part, in addition to the wildlife viewing, would be
3: yeah. very intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, moving. The trip that I was looking at was actually at a First Nations lodge, and they they basically laid out the history of, mm-hmm. you know.
0: I've really enjoyed the trips that I've been not the, to this location. Yeah. I hope to be there someday, but yeah. other other areas yeah. along the, the Pacific Northwest to see that culture and, and really appreciate it. And even the far north, too. I mean, some of those native cultures and how they lived on the tundra through those seasons and managed it, uh, so interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up one more thing, what you said earlier. You said some days you would not see any, right? Yep. But that doesn't mean any bears or does 'Cause there'll be yeah. black bears. You're still seeing stuff, right? You're still able to photograph things. Yeah. It's just definitely. the spirit bears were a uh, questionable.
1: Yeah. There's there's always things to see and always things to appreciate when you're out there. Um but yeah, as I was saying, like it those trips are obviously people are very focused on you know, seeing what the they came to see. <laughs> rare animal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. um there's always other things to appreciate and photograph and
0: They're so striking in that landscape, being white, right? In this Mm -hmm. lush green forest. Yes. And, uh, yeah, visually, for a photographer or videographer, it's an amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the the tour then focused around them fishing, right? That would be... Yep. That's why it's that time of year. Yeah. September and October for the spirit bears. Exactly. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. And, uh, well, maybe one of these days.
2: Someday, (laughs) it'll happen. (laughs) Maybe we can hire Lindsay to take us
0: You know what okay, let's even go further. Yeah. Let's do a <laughs> podcast mini series on Spirit Bears and on this trip and all the other aspects of it because I would like to highlight just that wilderness area, you know, from the smallest little things you can appreciate, the subtleties
2: to mm-hmm. this Beautiful animals like the spirit bear. And I think we hire our personal guide. Who knows? Who would be better? Right. (laughs) All right. Yep. We'll
0: write down the details as soon as we close on this podcast. (laughs) Getting more excited by the moment here.
1: We'll discuss the financials. (laughs) Oh, Oh. she's a businesswoman too, right?
0: (laughs) Right out of the gate. Right. No hesitation. Good for you. That's good. That's good. As you should be. Yep. Absolutely. Um, So, I want to go on to other installment we want to talk about with Churchill and polar bears and that's you know a whole different landscape starkly different completely different yeah but equally amazing animals and to witness them and like I said earlier I think that Michael's been up there and had that privilege as well but how was that in Churchill so Churchill is uh, a little bit later in in autumn it's October November mm-hmm. that people are there and why would why is that the timing for Churchill
1: um so the timing of seeing these polar bears I guess your greatest chance of seeing them is when the ice forms in the bay. And Churchill is just an ideal location for that because it's positioned on kind of a like a peninsula into the bay where um the ice forms first. The this specific population of bears they've they've been on land for for months and haven't really been attaining any kind of nutrients during that time so they're obviously very eager in the fall to get back out on the ice and to be able to hunt seals which is their main prey um and so this is where they congregate as they're waiting for that ice to form um so it creates a wonderful opportunity for people to be able to see them
0: so they just line up along the shore and they're sitting there and waiting for the ice to form it's like come on <laughs> i just there. have this great comical uh, yeah uh, comic a visual of this honestly right? yeah sure.
1: I, w- I was lucky enough to be able to to uh join one of my guests on a helicopter tour wow. and that's exactly what it was there was bears just lying on the edge of the ice you know only like 10 feet away from each other and uh they're all just eager and waiting
0: starting
2: gate come on yeah it's time to eat again yeah, please exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you never know when the ice is gonna form right, right. and sure they that's been a subject so conversation like this whole yeah Wait, so you, if you're going up in October, is it like mid-October or did you get there early October or what, what time of October did you go up?
1: Uh, I've been fortunate enough to kind of work, uh, at different times during the season. So early October, again, it's kind of like we were talking about with the grizzly bears and that kind of timing of them feeding on the berries as, as, uh, a lower chance of seeing them, uh, in that early, in that early season in October, um, it's, but you also generally get to see uh, more of a diversity of other wildlife during that time. Um, so if you're lucky enough, you might still see the beluga whales uh, in the estuary of the Churchill River that comes into the Hudson Bay. Is um, that where they
3: congregate to go shit yeah, off the skin? And... Exactly. Oh, there's
1: a okay. uh, there's a population of about three thousand um, that congregate in that area. Um, so sometimes in early October, you'll mm-hmm. get to see um maybe a big groups of them or some stragglers kind of coming back out but yeah you get to see a variety of bird life generally um and so there's just there's opportunity to kind of see more of that landscape than just the bears foxes Yep, i foxes. Uh, people and... that i've
0: known have been there and and there's a cross face of uh, aren't there yeah. cross foxes of the red fox there? Yeah, so, so black there's... silver
1: there's two different uh, species there's the red fox and then there's the Arctic fox uh, and so with the red fox there's three different color phases there's the there's the the red phase which most people see uh, there's the cross fox um, uh, which is kind of a red and uh, mixture of the other phase which is the silver fox which is kind of a very striking black with silver tips on the on the guard hairs of the fur and so yeah there's quite a lot of variety That's to see out there. I would
0: love that opportunity because those foxes are so photogenic, so beautiful, mm-hmm, and those yeah. color faces, each one of them. I mean, we yeah. see a lot of red foxes where I live, but not cross nor silver. So whenever mm-hmm. I have that opportunity, they are such a striking animal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the Arctic foxes there, too. That would be uh, that would be amazing. Something that... Yeah. So you had three seasons up there, so you've seen quite a bit, which is, I'm yeah, sure, quite a privilege. I've definitely
1: been fortunate, yeah. as I had already mentioned, the the gear Falcon experience and things like that. So I've definitely been lucky while I've been up there.
0: Some, something that I've read in the news this this year, and maybe it's been going on for more than this, And um, you know, there's a concern about when the ice forms. When the ice forms, the polar bears go, right? So at some point in November, the ice forms. And um, I think as far as the, the tours go, whether it's for sightseeing or photography, the, It'd be ideal to catch it right before, you know, the week before it's starting to form. There are more and more bears there. The anticipation's building. Mm-hmm. But then, if it's ten days after the ice is formed, <laughs> then it's going to be quiet, right? Because they're gone. It's time to go and hunt. Yeah. But with with the um, issues of climate change and the concern about when the ice is forming, mm-hmm. I've read in the in the news that um, perhaps polar bears. And I don't know if you can shine some light on this. Uh, have been going into the shallows and, and finding a beluga and driving it into the shore and actually um, preying on beluga whales as well that way. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything about that?
1: I've definitely heard of the documented cases of right. multiple bears working together in a group um, to push a beluga whale up onto shore in order for them all to be able to feed on it. Um, but they, they're, some of them I have actually seen uh, one successfully do that with a... With a harbor seal, wow, as well, sure, yeah.
0: I mean, they would know to do that, and and they're 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 so comfortable in the water. Obviously, they can mm-hmm. swim incredible distances, right? Polar bears,
1: yeah. In the U.S., I think they're actually considered a marine mammal.
0: No kidding, mm-hmm. really, yeah. Do you, I? I don't have the figure on top of in, in my mind at the moment, but do you know how far that they've been documented swimming?
1: Oh, uh, as far as kilometers go. I can't think of the number right now, but um, there's been a bear documented to have done a swim for ten days straight. No way. Yeah. Wow.
0: Wow, that's, that's stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. So, so really the, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I I can do ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I'll float for a bit. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. You know, but um, so yeah, I, I I see this. It makes sense that they would adapt perhaps or maybe this is something they've always done as with these cetaceans and uh, the whales um, be able to or porpoises and in uh, when the opportunity is there and they find them in the shallows can drive them in enough to make it's
1: them. it's pretty rare it's a, definitely a hard thing for them to be able to do sure um, if
0: it's deep then it doesn't make sense it has to be shallow enough yeah they're but rare.
1: even they're just they're so quick right do they yeah they're always kind of looking around and uh, it's hard for a bear to even approach them and get that opportunity.
0: Sure. No, I don't see this as an alternative for them whatsoever as far as the ice forming. I just thought it was pretty amazing and interesting that they had this other food source. Not for a second thinking it would replace yeah. the seals. Yeah. It's just something I didn't know if they were perhaps adapting and trying this technique more often because of the issue of climate change and, and the ice not forming as early just yeah. to survive. Um, you know, It wouldn't be what their go-to would be. Yeah, and watching them yeah. when the ice does form, you know the documentaries I've seen where they'll watch that seal hole and stuff is is quite interesting too, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, isn't, isn't there a certain strategy that they have to get the seal? Like they see the seal's head come up because it's a breathing hole, right, mm-hmm. in the ice, and then that's where the polar bear will.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of different ways that they can go about it. So if they're if they're going after an adult, they'll generally wait outside very still and very quietly outside a breathing hole and just wait for that opportunity for a seal head to pop up and they'll either just you know clamp their jaws right on that head or they'll use their very curved claws and swing their paw and grip onto the head and pull it out of the hole but also springtime is the is when they get their most their most sustenance through the seal pups Um, so they can actually smell out and locate uh those pup dens which are actually in a layer underneath the top of the ice that the that the mothers will kind of scrape out from the bottom and they'll just punch out those dens and grab the seal pups yeah Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) so these photo tours or, or tours i should say that you guided were on tundra buggies Right. And were some of these ones with accommodations on them or would they stay at accommodation in town and then the, the buggy would just go out for a few hours on a day trip? or?
1: Uh, so there's a few different options. There's a couple of different companies that operate out there and they have lodges that are out on the tundra in specific locations. They're actually built up of tundra buggies. They're high up off the ground and these buggies were specifically designed for this very purpose, um, very high off the ground and very smooth sidewalls so that there's nothing for the bears to kind of grip onto. And so that's what they decided to make the lodges out of as well.
3: So from a photographer's perspective, the thunder buggy is an elevated platform, obviously, because these bears are very yep. large.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: How does the operator get a photographer into a position where you can kind of try to get that eye level shot? Or is that even a concern? You just kind of take it as it comes.
1: Um, To get an eye-level shot is a rather difficult <laughs> thing to do <laughs> from a tundra buggy. From a tundra buggy, <laughs> <the> tundra buggy. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: If it's way out on the tundra with a good right. telephoto, the, <laughs> perspective. the perspective changes right. a bit, so yeah. there's
3: that opportunity. Further away, the angle decreases. And right. Yeah. But, yeah, right at the
0: – I'm sure it would be challenged at the tundra buggy.
3: Instead yeah. of the straight-down bear-on-the-buggy shot. There's
1: only been <laughs> one experience, I think, where – We have had something like that where uh, our driver kind of parked at a low spot and Mm -hmm. we were watching a very large male bear coming in Um, and we were just parked in this very opportune (laughs) spot where there was kind of a higher uh, plateau level um, that the bear stood on and then kind of came up onto our buggy uh, and was pretty much face level with with some of our guests that I quickly had to <laughs> congregate away from the bear but uh, that was kind of the only experience that I've had where
2: where you've had has been eye level sure. yeah you know those tundra buggies have evolved a huge amount as well I mean I didn't notice that until I went up there and then you see somewhere in Churchill like the first tundra buggy or maybe one of the early tundra buggies they have parked in town and you see it, and then you go out and look at the tundra buggies that are running out, and it's mm-hmm. night and day difference. I mean, it's like almost—I don't even remember anymore—but it's almost like a a school bus that they just put big tires. No on, kidding, right? Kind right. of yep. thing. And chilly. Yeah, <laughs> and then now they're these <laughs> extravagant, just like monster. Just uh, it's amazing just to watch them go out through the tundra and, yeah. and pull those trains of co- cars with all the different cars on it and.
1: Yeah, they've gone through a lot of uh, renovations over the years. Now it's it's a little more of a luxury vehicle. <laughs> <Yes>. yeah, <laughs> sure. Nice and heated and uh, flush toilets and, oh, goodness. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> but you
2: pay for that. You
0: yeah. know, those trips are pretty expensive. Very true. Yeah, Very true. Expensive. The
1: guides talk about uh, the days where, you know, they had to... Clean out the honey buckets, as they call them, the <laughs> yeah, <they're laughs> from good, the yeah. bathrooms every day after a, a long day on the tender buggy. <laughs> no.
2: So, with those bears up there, when you know, and you've done it so many years, I was up there once, so I had that experience, and that's all I can take away from. But were there certain bears that would show up first, you know, to that to the bay, to the edges, and then are there different age groups that show up at different times, like? Mm-hmm. It seems like we wouldn't see a mama with babies or a sow with cubs right away. It was more towards the end as the ice was getting, you know, and that's all they're just trying to protect. Or if they were around in the area, they would stay well away from any of the male bears. Is that how it works? Is they, are there different age groups that show up and burst and wait? And how does mm-hmm. that work?
1: That specific location I was talking about um, where all the bears were kind of lined up like 10 feet away from each other, lying down waiting for that ice to form, those are generally those big male-dominant bears. They kind of get their choice of position. And you're right, those females with cubs, they're, I guess, trying to time it a little better. They usually show up a little bit bit later, and some a lot later, actually.
2: Good question. Well, we just saw so many... I don't know. We would see the big males, and then we'd see some sub-adults that didn't have to worry about anybody but themselves. Yeah. And then towards the end of our trip, we saw a few females with cubs. And, and they're very leery because those big males will prey on those, those cubs. Mm-hmm. Right. So they have to be really diligent about where they're mm-hmm. going and what's around. And, and you could see it just in the, what we did. There's two other things I've seen
0: on social media out of Churchill that have really impressed me lately are, are the wolf images I've seen some beautiful wolves up there mm-hmm. was that some did you see many on your your three time
1: traveled i have I have never seen a wolf out there, but um okay. last year, actually we saw a wolverine really? run okay, that's the, the end of the conversation
0: folks <laughs> 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 we are packing our bags for Churchill. We will be <laughs> Tune in again on <laughs>
1: Well, we also saw one in the Great Bear Rainforest too, so <laughs> there you go. All right, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, up in Churchill, uh trapping is a big focus I see. for local people. There I guess that is kind of the only avenue that I've seen. The evidence of wolves sure. up there okay they definitely focus more so on trapping uh wolves wolverine and uh martin is the big money maker up there
0: not foxes with cross fox Ah, uh, is that not <laughs> on the
1: they they do but that's not generally what they aim for okay yeah mm-hmm.
0: well it's interesting that the wolves i saw were you know there were dark colored ones and light that were photographed mm-hmm. and and the weather up there too with the blowing snow and stuff but they're quite striking images from a photography point of view.
2: Well, the other thing that's striking up there is is earlier. So you go in August or even July or September, you'll get fireweed, and then you'll get this big white bear sitting up looking through this Mm -hmm. really beautiful fire. I mean... Right. But I've also heard that the bugs are just horrendous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you just... Access to these areas is kind of difficult because of the time of year. I mean, you just can't... There's not a lot of roads up there. It's pretty... It's I, hard would, to get I would
0: love to have that image. It is so striking, but I would not pay to do the trip for that one image because you. It, I think you, you don't get a lot of other material yeah. on that at well, that time of year, right? a lot
1: of people uh, will come up for the beluga whale tours. Okay, and then they'll so also go worked. out on... But you can't access the wildlife management area during that time. Okay. Um, Why is that? So people... Uh it's it's specific, um
0: it's not frozen too much damage to the terrain or sorry, just guessing that
1: yeah, exactly. Um when the when the ground isn't frozen, um, you can do a lot of damage, uh, to that type of ecotype. So the two companies that operate they have a certain number of permits. Um, and so that restricts timing and access and and all of those kinds of things. So when people go out on those beluga whale tours, they might take the opportunity to hire a local guide just in a truck to go and try and find or see if there's a polar bear kind of roaming around. But
2: Is that how it's done or can you, could you uh, get in a boat and possibly see that? Would that be a possibility or do you know?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's a possibility, but I don't think the boats would uh, travel that far in order to see that kind of thing. So that's more of a driving activity.
2: But the roads are limited, right? Yeah. So you only have, I I remember that's what we did is we, we didn't do the tundra buggies. I was on a budget. So we went up and just rented a car and Mm -hmm. then just traveled the road system. And, um, what was it? 20, K of roads is about it.
1: The road out to the, uh, staging area, um, is about 32 kilometers, I think. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I don't even know if we've mentioned this yet in this podcast, but Churchill is not accessible by road. Uh, it's only accessible right. well, right now by air. Yes, um, right. because the rail line has been damaged in numerous places. The reason why the town exists and the roads exist there is because of uh, historical use by the American military.
0: What about the shipping yeah. port?
1: It's a yeah, big shipping so port that for was grains now. That right? was kind of developed. Uh, afterwards, okay. Um, but the port isn't really used anymore, um, and so that's the issue with the rail line, is that it's been damaged, and p- because the rail line was specific to the port, and there's not really that usage anymore, then there's not the drive to fix the rail line any longer.
0: It's been in the news a lot this year. Yep. I think they've come to resolution, and that it's going to be fixed, but there, I think there's, yeah. I, I could be wrong in stating this, but there was some kind of subsidy, or the government was forcing along somehow because the community you know was becoming too hard on the community not to have a rail service yeah. for supplies the expensive supplies you know it's mm-hmm. already costly to buy milk and orange juice and other amenities in yeah, churchill I now not to have it delivered by rail
1: exactly
0: had a huge impact yeah. as well and then for tourism a lot of them rely on that mm-hmm. and so there are a lot of people that i know who have experienced churchill who have traveled uh, from thompson manitoba from yep. winnipeg to thompson and, and take the train mm-hmm. it is cheaper and they get to see it uh, what was interesting about the train ride and hopefully it'll be you know uh fixed soon for everyone involved yeah. was the speed it wasn't that it wasn't <laughs> that it was super far to go there's quite a distance but the train had to go slow Lee yeah. because it was crossing these bogs and so if the train went at a high speed the rail would fluctuate on these bogs because it wasn't solid ground and that could cause it to break and so they would travel, I think, at 30 or 40 kilometers an hour um, to, to keep it yeah. safe.
1: Well, even yeah. even in the winter when the ground is frozen, just generally the, the rail line is is not uh, <laughs> the straightest of rail lines because of that bog and the permafrost that kind of, well, not permafrost necessarily, but that top layer that uh, fluctuates. Right. So it's frozen in the winter and then melts in the summer and that has its effect on the rail line. And so... Just generally any time of year uh, you're traveling How quite slowly, but it's also really nice and relaxing Sure. and you get to travel through multiple different uh, ecosystems, right. um, which is really neat to see. And there's opportunity to see wildlife, like I've seen moose and great gray owls and things like that going through the boreal forest before you get up to the taiga.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. The other cool thing that we had happen when we were there was Northern Lights. Yes. It's incredible, right? It's one of the coolest places I've seen Northern Lights.
1: Yeah, one of the, it's definitely one of the places where I've seen the most spectacular Northern Lights. The, and there are specific tours that operate to see the Northern Lights up there because the best time of year is January and February. But if you're lucky enough... In October, November, during the bear season, if you get a nice clear sky, if you're lucky enough, you might you might catch them. Um, it is under it's lo- Churchill is located under the aurora belt, um, so if you do get a clear sky, your chances are actually quite high of seeing northern lights. But also, that time of year is generally when you get a lot of snow, and so a lot of the time it's overcast. But it makes it all that much more special. When you do get that opportunity of the clear skies, especially if you're out staying in the lodge on the tundra and uh, just looking at it through the glass roofs. But
0: so they actually built glass roofs for that
1: enjoyment. That's so that a new thing, actually, okay. on, the, on the lodges. Yeah, they, they built these viewing cars for the lodge so that people could sit inside and, and drink or eat and watch the wow. northern lights instead so of freezing up on the roof. Right, yeah. for
0: those that have the big money, you get a suite with your jacuzzi, and you go <laughs> and you lay down to bed, and you've got this glass ceiling, and it's the northern <coughs> lights. I mean,
3: oh, wow! Roll to the other side of the bed in the morning, and there's the polar bears, <laughs> <and that. laughs>
0: cross fox. Oh, sounds like an amazing place to experience.
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: And again, a life changer, probably for what you saw up there. Oh.
1: Yeah, again, it was a it was a landscape that I had never been exposed to, and I was really excited to see this like it's almost like a different planet up there it really is
0: so i know you would keep doing these photo tours or guided tours because you're so passionate about it and the ability to share this information with all these people that come along mm-hmm. as you've learned it uh from your experience in the field yeah. but you have an exciting endeavor starting in september that uh yeah. takes you in a different direction for a sh- short period of time
1: yeah i've decided to Try and become a smarter person, (laughs) and go back to school, (laughs) and uh, and pursue a master's degree in, uh, and again, it'll be in conservation biology. Uh, It'll be focused on looking at wolf predation on a specific bison herd in uh, in northeastern Alberta. Yeah. So I'm pretty excited to. I would love to do uh, do that. That
0: sounds very interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to get started.
0: Do you know how you'll implement that? How will you uh, measure or, or observe? The wolf predation, what's the strategy for the study for data collection and
1: uh, solution? So I think it'll be a mixture of methods is how I'm seeing it right now. But um, uh, hopefully this winter we'll start actually uh, capturing and putting some collars on wolves. And some of the bison in that herd actually already have collars. So through that, uh, you can kind of use that telemetry data from those collars to um, look at different interactions between the two Species And uh, and you can go and visit, you know, you get uh, cluster sites and things like that from wolf packs where they spend a significant amount of time in one place. Um, so you're getting numerous locations and you can go to those sites and visit those sites and see what they've been doing and wow. kind of assess what kind of activity they've been up to. And, and you know, if that is predating on, on a bison, um, that's the kind of data that we're right. looking for.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. I mean if I was just finishing my degree, I would sign up for that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's just wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you. And we're we very appreciative of the time, I'm yeah, sure you've been a, a lot of insights into all three of these magnificent locations for
3: found myself
2: silent, just wanting to, li- <laughs> <laughs> to listen. Well I think yeah. the coolest thing and kind of a concluding thought from me would be you wanted you have your biology background and you mm-hmm. found yourself doing this research stuff but then you're like I want to watch behavior yeah, yeah and exactly. you were able to match that behavior with like wildlife tourism and you still get to get your behavior but then you're also the conservation is cool because you get to educate the people that you're with yeah I mean was that mm-hmm. serendipity is that how that happened or did you kind of put all that together before you actually went down there
1: yeah, in in this in this field um and going through school, it's it's a lot of uh like seasonal jobs. And as I said before, doing that kind of field research, it was kind of focused in the summer season and then I just wanted to prioritize uh taking the opportunity to go out and and actually observe wildlife behavior. Um and to kind of see that side of it, learn more from that side of it. Um, And then from there, after that, then I started getting more opportunities from other companies through networking and and being able to fit that into my other work schedule. Um, And so, you know, there's been times where I've had five different jobs in a year Um, and it's perfect. Uh, I can time it properly and there is actually kind of job security there. I always know that I can return and do these things and. And I get so much variety in a year and so much different experience in a year. And it's, uh, yeah, it'll it's be interesting to go back to school full time. <laughs> it's a great
0: lifestyle for a young person yeah. with the passions that you have, right? Yeah. So good on you for doing it <laughs> and uh, educating so many people about this. Yeah. And And thank you for taking the time. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed it, you know, as much as Mike, Ron, and I have. Hearing behind the scenes this way, absolutely. Been a lot of information, and um, you're going to send us a few photos that we're going to put in the show notes, just about the tours that you've done. And yeah. our listeners can go to our website at wildandexposed.com to see a little bit behind the scenes of, of Lindsay's adventures. And well, we, we wish you the, the best of luck. In this action autumn. photos, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> it, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Pointing <laughs> like polar bear, grizzly bear, spirit yeah. bear. Yeah.
1: Probably like me with a big smile on myself. <laughs> oh, my on my face in the pouring rain on the coast. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay, for your time today. I hope that our, our listeners have enjoyed it as much as Mike Ron and I have. We wish you the best of luck starting this autumn and uh for those of you that want to see a few of ima- a few images of Lindsay's from her amazing adventures and times guiding in the Great Bear Rainforest the spirit bears as well and of course in Churchill for the polar bears go to our website at wildandexposed.com in the show notes you'll see images from behind the scenes of her great adventures in the outdoors until then pick up a camera put on your hiking boots and enjoy the fresh air and and enjoy some wilderness time